Hey there, welcome to Nearly One Fourth, a podcast dedicated to women that are exploring or are in the field of architecture. I'm Haley, and I'm super excited to share my journey with you as I learn about the architecture profession and how to navigate it as a woman and as an emerging professional. On today's episode of Nearly One Fourth, I'm happy to welcome a good friend, Christy Stanfield. As the leader of Champlin's Toledo office, Christy uses her creative design solutions to convey clear concepts to clients and lead them through the design process by sharing options that could be quickly evaluated. By taking the time to understand the needs of each client and project, Christy is able to collaborate and lead the team with a unique solution tailored to the client's needs and goals for a project. During education, Christy earned her Bachelor of Science in Interior Design from the University of Cincinnati, where she later served as an adjunct professor and guest critic. During her three decades with Champlain Architecture, Christy is one of the firm leaders of Champlain and served on the board of directors for eight years, honored as one of the top 10 women in interior design by Women's Business Cincinnati Magazine, and participated on several award-winning projects, most recently, the University of Toledo Park Towers renovation. With that, I'm super excited to have this conversation with Christy today, and welcome back to Nearly One Fourth. Hello everyone and welcome back to Nearly One Fourth. I'm your host Haley and today I'm super excited to welcome a dear friend of mine, Christy Stanfield. Christy, how are you today? I'm hanging in there. I'm happy to be here. So thank you for inviting me to join you. Oh, it is my honor to have you on the show. Um, Christy and I have known each other for many years now. Before I went to Clemson, I went to a small school, Bowling Green State, which is in Northern Ohio, where I got to meet Christy, she is a, from Champlain Architecture and has just done amazing work, so I'm really excited to have her on. Um, would you like to share a little bit about yourself before we get going? Um, about myself? Uh, sure. Uh, I am a principal at Champlain Architecture. I've worked at Champlain for three decades now, so that's been a pretty long time. I'm a lifer, and I tend to hire for life. So. <laughs> If you're interviewing with me or we're in conversation, I'm always thinking about the long term, the long game, right? Um, I've been a principal since 2009. I've uh, always done archi- our interior design, and I think that's about all you need to know <laughs> for now. Awesome. We'll get into more. Um, so you have um, a really interesting background, in my opinion. Your background is in interior design, which I consider a sister profession or pretty similar to architecture. Others may disagree, but I consider them synonymous to one another. Um, could you talk about your journey of interior design and how it led you to being a principal at an architecture firm? Sure. So I knew that I wanted to go into design way back when in high school. And um, I remember I was in high school in in the Cleveland area at an all-girls school, and I was getting excited about applying to schools, and I was applying everywhere for architecture programs far away, Vermont, Miami, Florida, all these, you know, great (laughs) locations. And my dad reeled it in pretty quickly and said, well, I'll contribute to your education as long as you go in-state. So I found the furthest program from Cleveland. (laughs) and uh, began my journey there. I was a little late to the game, so I didn't get in right away, and I was in a holding pattern and 
through conversation with some of the professors and the faculty there at UC. They helped shepherd me into interior design. And uh, at UC, the program is kind of parallel with the architects for the first year or two. We have a lot of kind of foundation studio coursework stuff that um, go hand in hand with both disciplines. So I've always, I've, I've just always done it. Mm -hmm. I've always enjoyed it. And um, the co-op program there really, you know, sealed the deal for me. I had some great experiences in, in, in Indianapolis and in Chicago, Atlanta, and at Champlin. That was awesome. Um, you mm -hmm. see DAP has always had a good program. So even though it was still in Ohio, you still made it in a pretty good spot. So at least you got the balance of somewhere good. For sure. Um, do you think that being trained as an interior designer, but being in a leadership role at an architecture firm changes your perspective on how you approach things? Trained as an interior designer. I, th I think that, you know, if, if, if I'm thinking about it, like as soon as somebody holds the door and enters the building, it, it kind of starts to get blur that line between interior design, interior architecture, and a lot of our projects, a lot of our most successful projects are those that are have integrated teams with architecture and interior design, where we're, you know, taking cues from the architecture, um, whether it's an addition, a new building, or even renovations. Um, we're, we're really a unified team with our disciplines. Um, our interior designers are stellar with Revit and all the software that's out there today to help with visualization, which helps sell the visions to our, um, to our clients and helps them who don't have the ability to visualize, mm -hmm. you know, leave very little to the imagination nowadays because yeah. they like to know what they're getting. So. Do you think it almost makes it harder to sell the product product when they can see it completely at face value? Yes, they do like to futz with it a little bit, I would say. <laughs> you know, like it, sometimes they'll get stuck on one little thing and it'll just <laughs> drive them nuts, you know, like, oh, that doesn't work or I can't stand this one little element. And just I think that's where collaboration comes in to play and being able to kind of go through some refinement and some little bit of leading the design and a little bit of um, knowing when to push and knowing when to pull. Mm -hmm. So, um, but ultimately I think as designers and most of our team members are like this, I, I would say all of them are really, we're always cons considerate of the the client's needs. We're putting the client's needs, the program goals, we kind of establish those early on in the project process and we always go back to that to help in the decision making and to help people make informed decisions because mm -hmm. they're paying the bill. Yeah. <laughs> we just um, get to be creative and you know, help yeah. bring it to life. It makes me think of school, how you I, I mean, I just finished school but I would get so frustrated with my design critiques or studio critiques 
because the whole project would be fine, and then there would be like a handrail or a trim piece or just something that really didn't matter and could be easily changed or swapped or didn't have a reason for being there other than its function and physically could be changed and manipulated to match the rest of the intent and they would get stuck on it for 20 minutes and then your project that was great ends up being no longer great because you have a handrail that wasn't to their standard. <laughs> well, and that's where we become our own worst critics. Like we have to extend some grace to ourselves and as a team and kind of understand what it means to massage things out and work out the challenges that you're presented with in real life. And that happens mm-hmm. during construction. You know, there's mm-hmm. sometimes we'll have unforeseeable conditions that come up and it's like, oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's just not going to bode well for the project. But at the end of the day, and, um, you know, we can speak to this on a Toledo project more recently, we, we had a condition where, um, a water line was coming into the building and it, Mm -hmm. the tap was actually physically inside the building. Mm -hmm. And we had to create like a bench and (laughs) it was in the main lobby and it, you know, we were concerned it was going to look like an afterthought, but we took some time to synthesize the information mm-hmm. and take into consideration all the surrounding elements. And it, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it looked awesome. I mean, That's I was like, awesome. I'm glad we were able to, um, you know, celebrate a victory there. Yeah, and make it a part of the space. I mean, that's the best thing about what we do is taking even what seems like an impossible challenge and making it into something great. And mm-hmm. if clients can see that at the beginning before they even start the process and you're able to do it, then that's even better because then they're comfortable with trusting you in the process, which sometimes is hard. <laughs> yeah. It, it, every client has their challenges that they bring to the table. Yes. We all have it. Yes. Very true. Very true. Um, what are some challenges that you think you feel being a principal, a female principal and working with architects with it? And how do you think that you overcome maybe some of those challenges with collaboration specifically? So first of all, in the field of interior design, I think there are, it's fairly female dominated, right? Um, a lot of our educators were male, or at least at University of Cincinnati, and um, the architecture field was you know, it's the tide is turning. I think there's lots and more and more women in the space. There's more women in construction right now, and um, I, I just feel like the challenges are becoming fewer and farther between. Mm-hmm. Honestly, with yeah. this next generation coming in, I feel like you know it's important to present yourself as a unified team. There's no I in team. It's all we. And I, I coach all our younger staff through that mm-hmm. time and time again. I'm sure they're sick of me saying it. But, um, <laughs> you know, if there's a rift or an ego or a miscommunication, I think it's really important to have a courageous conversation and to resolve the issue at hand and then simply move on, right? We're all adults. We're all professionals. And um, if, it's, if it becomes more personal, or more challenging, then there's mechanisms in place. There's HR that you can get involved if you're having um, any challenges. There's other leaders that can help 
um, help you work out the challenges. But um, for the most part, I, like I said, I feel like my challenges have become few, fewer and farther between. So maybe there's some, um, some encouragement for all the younger people in the world. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. I mean, it, it really is a different time. Um, half of my class at both universities I was at was female, if not more. Um, the translation is licensure. I've noticed, at least with architecture specifically, the translation for the demographic change is the, I don't know if it's accommodations or what the difference is, but at some point between the 50% graduation class and then architecture licensure, we dropped from about 50% to less than a fourth of registered architects are female. So hmm. it'll be interesting to see how that demographic or statistic changes over time. Yeah, it would be interesting to hear more about that. Mm -hmm. I wonder, I don't know. You can speculate, but <laughs> it's not really, I don't know. We encourage all of our younger staff yeah, to absolutely. get registered as soon as you can. Do not delay because it just becomes harder and harder. The more you put it off, the harder yeah. I think it is to get over that finish line or that goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I really love the area that you're in, Toledo. If no one's familiar, it's a city in Northern Ohio. It's a little bit smaller. My alma mater is about 30 minutes from there, which is how I got to meet Christy. Um, one thing about Toledo is even though it's a city, it's a little bit smaller compared to other communities in Ohio. Um, how do you feel that architecture and interiors contributes to, this is kind of a hard question, contributes to the identity of Toledo or the spaces or maybe the future of Toledo? Because I do know that it's a growing and building space. Yeah, so Toledo is known for their glass industry and um, you know, they have a good, they have a lot of cultural um, draw, I think. And it becomes this really interesting small town. It's very blue collar. Um, everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. Design communities are small to begin with, but you yeah. come to a smaller design community <laughs> and it gets that much smaller. But I do find that they do celebrate things a lot. And there's a lot of recognition and just mm -hmm. general respective, respectful acknowledgement um, of successful projects. You know, I mean, on, on, the, on the campus of your alma mater, um, it, there's a lot of great things happening there. Yes. So, yes, I was actually just there today. I was talking to folks <laughs> there today. So that was exciting. I was like, oh, must just be the day for BG. Falcons. It's always the day for me. <laughs> that place makes me so happy. Um, do you think that um, it could be more challenging in smaller communities than in larger communities to maybe navigate an experience or have them involved with the design that's going on? It shouldn't be. <laughs> I'll say that. It shouldn't be more challenging. Um, I think some of the challenges come with, and, you know, like I mentioned, I've been at Champlain for three decades now. Mm -hmm. Your generation likes to jump around. So the challenge becomes, if you really want to stay in Toledo, you know, you kind of build that network of people and you find your fit and then you 
do whatever you can do to make yourself thrive or to, you know, surround yourself with people that are building into you, encouraging you and giving you those opportunities to, to truly thrive. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that, um, the younger generations do bounce around a lot more than older ones. Um, but I think some of, I mean, some of that is because of personal, whatever reasons, but also some of that comes with firms and firms value and input into people and experiences. And honestly, in my opinion, if a firm is not going to invest in their people, young, old, whatever they may be, I wouldn't see a reason to stay myself if a firm wasn't interested in investing. Do you see that being a problem a lot? I know Champlin is a great firm, so I'm sure that's not something um, you experience as much. I don't know. I, you know, I try not to I will talk to somebody who's interested in changing mm -hmm. positions or changing from another firm, but I don't actively, I'm not actively like pursuing, mm -hmm. trying to get somebody to change. If somebody's happy yeah. and thriving, I mean, like I said, it's a small design community, so we all know one another, yeah. but um, if you're doing well, I want to celebrate that and I want to see, mm -hmm. you know, what you're going to do next or how you're mm -hmm. going to continue to grow your talent and your expertise. Mm -hmm. And that's how we develop as leaders in the community and, you know, trusted partners and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I know that you're involved with many local organizations, which is amazing. You're a champion in the Toledo community. Um, how do you think that either being involved in organizations or architects and interior designers as their own community or organization, how do you think that they could collaborate with local residents more to make spaces more for them rather than what architects or interior designers think that the community wants? Well, I think when projects are kicked off and at least mm -hmm. how Champlin has a propensity to mm -hmm run project processes, we, we will host like workshops or special um, opportunities for people to weigh in. And often what I like to say, or what one client told me is everybody will get their say, but not everybody's going to get their way, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> which is fine, but it's good to gather that input and start mm -hmm. to um, synthesize all the information and find where we we can build consensus we can build alignment in the project goals and um, ultimately we're designing, you know, some of those projects are very community specific. So we're designing for the community. It's so important to understand the context and the, you know, the urban fabric or whatever, you know, we are, whatever community we're designing in. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, um, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I, I just think of the experiences that I've had. I have, I've had had the opportunity to call up at many places. Um, one of the places was in Covington, Kentucky, which is across the pond from Cincinnati. Love um, Covington. Was, I do too. It is so beautiful there. Um, if you've never been to Covington, it's the little, the little sister to Cincinnati, but it's pretty great. Um, and I think that the firm that I worked for, they were a small, intense urban design firm and they did a, a really great job of staying involved with the community it was the first office i had worked at where the mailman stopped in every day and dropped off the mail and everyone 
said hello, and every year they host a party, which and they invite everyone on the block, which is really great. And um, it may be, not always, but it may be simpler in a smaller community or a smaller design community to branch out and get people involved in your community versus in like I, a larger conglomerate. I am not so sure about that. I think that you will always have your core group of people who want to get involved and choose to actively get involved and more power to them. But, um, you know, what do they say about many hands makes the load light? I don't know the, I don't know the <laughs> phrase, but know. you know what I'm trying to get at. Yes. Um, it just is, you know, I mean, there's special events that we do mm-hmm. for communities There's special mm-hmm. events that we do for the design community. Mm-hmm. And all of those take a lot of time and effort and money, quite frankly. And we are, you know, we just need to be cognizant of, of all that goes into it and show some appreciation, you know, take the opportunity to serve if you can. Um, Champlin is a huge um, advocate. It's one of our core values is community service. Mm -hmm. So, and community outreach. So we all, it's all, kind of ingrained in us Mm -hmm. and some of those some of those uh outreaches like i think uh there's leadership toledo here which Mm -hmm. teach you how to serve on boards and teach you more about the um philanthropic aspect of giving Mm -hmm. back to your community it's important i know cincinnati has those similar boardway bound and stuff like that um which I participated in. And that's how yeah. I learned how to, you know, find alignment with my passions. So my mm-hmm. passions are pretty much eating and hanging out with kids. <laughs> um, uh, so, you yeah, know, that's how it is. You find what you like to do. And <laughs> <laughs> I also have a passion for eating. Um, okay. The kids thing, not yet. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> Well, they're fun when they're not yours. I'll say that. I mean, that's how it started for me. That is true. I have all sisters. All of us are close to the same age, and I don't think any of us have children on the radar. I would love to become a fun aunt one day. There you go. Um, I do not think that that is in my future anytime soon, (laughs) which is okay. So I need a friend or something to take one for the team so we can have a little kid running around. Oh, yeah. We don't have any, none, no mm-hmm. children in the mix. I have all sisters too, so. Yeah? I'm the fun aunt. I'm also You're the, the fun aunt. stepmom right now, so, or I try That's to be. Awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> my sisters are, um, a few of them are my step-siblings, so I'm a huge champion for blended families. Mm-hmm. Blended families, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all four of us turned out really great. I would like to think I'm architecture, my older sister's human resources we have a business consultant and an engineer so oh wow you guys are very well-rounded i came we have um my dad is an engineer so i think me and the youngest who took the engineering stemmed from that and then the our stepmom is um an accountant so i think the other two took the business stem from her (laughs) nice Maybe yeah, they don't, they, they don't teach us not. enough about business stuff in school. That would be one of my criticisms to the programs these days. Is yeah, they don't. If you um, could improve upon something, it would be, you know, the business acumen is so important in what we mm-hmm. do. They definitely don't. And I think um, 
regardless of what school you look at. I mean, a lot of them have a professional practice in the graduate program, but there's no reason in an undergraduate level that you shouldn't be introduced to even very preliminary business aspects. Um, I do think Bowling Green, their curriculum tries because you're required to take an economics class and a few other business classes during your curriculum there, but you really don't get into the meat of it until you're in graduate school. And by mm -hmm. that point, graduate school is so time consuming. Even your business courses, you may be taking those courses, but you're probably not <laughs> digesting anything because you're so busy with anything else but that. So I wish it was integrated. I wish all of this stuff was integrated into studios. I know studios are already so much work. Um, but if you just canceled all the other classes and made everyday studio and gave a purpose and premise and tasks to the project beyond just designing and building it, um, or building it, producing the work, um, I think it could help make people more well-rounded. I learned everything in studio. The class, the other classes were supportive and sometimes helped, but I really just learned the bulk of it in my studios. <laughs> I love studio. I, I was fortunate to teach as an adjunct at UC for a little bit and teaching alongside shared um, studio mm -hmm. teaching with another professor. And that was my favorite. I for sure. love to teach. I would love it. Well, I'm sure they're always looking for help. So <laughs> I'm sure that they are. Um, it's like the, I want to teach and work and but that's a lot that is that's hard but a lot of people do it there's a lot of my professors that worked in the day and taught in the evening or worked three days a week and taught the other two days a week I had a professor at Clemson that commuted from Charlotte which is like two hours away oh wow two days a week which is crazy and I had another one in Atlanta so it's a dedication. Well, I would just encourage you to, you know, keep your eyes and ears open for opportunities like that. And, you know, just take it by the horns if it's, it's, if it's presented to you and mm -hmm. see if you can make it work. It's worth a try. You never know. I think so, too. I think so, too. I loved being a teaching assistant in undergrad. Um, I did research in graduate school, so I did not get to teach. I was a research assistant. Um, which is the other side of academia, um, but I loved every second of it at Bowling Green. It was so much fun, and granted, I loved everyone at BG anyway, so maybe that made it mm -hmm. a bit easier. But yeah, they are a great group of people there. They're the greatest. Um, I loved my time at my master's degree, but I worked in admissions at Bowling Green for a reason, <laughs> so they definitely have my heart up there. Um, do you think you have any personal experiences that that um, maybe have highlighted the value of being an interior designer with a leadership position at your firm? Personal experiences. Well, I was, I don't know. Can you rephrase that question for me? Because <laughs> I'm like, where? Do you think that it's, it's almost, like talking about being, um, not, there's not a lot of times that, um, that's not true. What I'm about to say was totally not true. Um, sometimes interior designers aren't always put into principal or leadership roles in firms. Well, that is very true. And um, I remember having an opportunity to participate in 
branding efforts when we changed from Champlain Hope to Champlain Architecture. And they asked my input, like, how do you feel about, you know, Champlain Architecture and you are an interior designer? Like, should it be Champlain, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know what? It's who we are is Champlain, period. And if the name is Champlain Architecture, I'm not taking any offense to it. So I've always tried to... um, put the mindset on what's best for the firm, what's best for the longevity, mm-hmm. you know, it, and it's not about Christie, it's about Champlin. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that most of our leadership or not most of all, all of our leadership is very much, mm-hmm. you know, Champlin first, mm-hmm. you know, it's not about the individual, it's about yeah. the team. So, yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That is awesome. Um, the last question I have for you, um, is there any last piece of advice that you would like to share for either people of my age, people that have been in the profession for a long time, people that are at the end of the career, just anyone you can think of? Um, and is there anything that you have going on that you would like to share or promote with the nearly one-fourth community? Um, okay, so tidbits of advice. I would say find a mentor. Um, somebody once told me, um, if you're sitting in a new office or whatever it is, um, Mm -hmm. a new place of employment, have your ears open, you know, don't, don't be there with your earbuds in, but, you know, just listen to what's going on. Listen to the office chatter, uh, listen for names to kind of reoccurringly pop up and then go seek out that person and Mm -hmm. get to know how they operate. I know that when I was in Chicago, I had the um, co-oping. I had the opportunity to ride the train home with the president of the firm. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he just sat with me and he's like, ask me anything you want. And, you know, transparency (laughs) goes a long way. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, you start to ask him, well, what are you looking for in employees? You know, how do you find your business? How do you do the, Mm -hmm. and I mean, you can, as a student or a young professional, you should be a sponge, right? I mean, mm-hmm. none of us, I, I'm still learning on a daily basis. <laughs> so there is, you know, there's just lifelong learning that mm-hmm. continues to grow and continues to help you to be a leader, to exemplify certain skill sets and to mm-hmm. then to pass it on to others, right? So mm-hmm you're you're a sponge and now we're starting to squeeze it out a little bit and so i'm supposed to be spreading (laughs) spreading the rain onto others i guess (laughs) that is awesome i think um in a previous episode that was a big conversation was mentorship and i think um i think i'm gonna have to have a whole series on mentorship and just maybe invite like a whole panel on and talk about how do you even find a mentor I mean, I have a mentor, but not well. I, <laughs> and that's okay. That is absolutely okay. You need somebody to to bounce ideas off of, or to make sure that you're not like out in left field, right? Or yeah. you you just need a sanity check sometimes. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to run into some, and create some natural mentoring um, relationships with mm-hmm. women in my co-ops in, um, at Champlin, Mm -hmm. um, outside of Champlin, um, Mm -hmm. in my church community, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even like extended friends of the family. I, I just, I see 
people who are in the business world. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to even be in design, but just maybe somebody who has some sensibilities or may have their own business. Mm-hmm. And I can, you can kind of say, how do you do this? Yeah. What do you, you know, what does this mean? How do you mm-hmm. navigate this part? Mm-hmm. And it's just, I, I think you'd find that a lot of women want to encourage one another and really lean in and um, lift each other up. Mm-hmm. I, I just do. And I think, you know, the world's getting weirder and weirder by the minute, but the more unified <laughs> yeah. we can be as a, as a people, yeah, the better off. Yeah, we try. We try to be one, but doesn't always work. Well, and <laughs> be kind to everybody. That yeah. I mean, that's just that goes without saying. And I it's not just women. I I've been mentored by some awesome men who are just extremely talented and knowledgeable and mm-hmm. you know, they've kind of taken me under their wing and mm-hmm. it's it's been very you know, it makes you feel good when somebody believes yeah. in you. And I think we all need people to believe in us as individuals. And then we need to start believing in others and trusting others. So it's, it's a domino effect. Yeah. I have a team member at the firm that I'm working at. Um, This is the first team I've worked on where there is a significant number of younger women. Most of the teams of previous years have been um, middle to older aged men and then maybe like one or two women of any age sprinkled in there um Mm -hmm. my whole little desk pod is a bunch of young girls so i'm sure you can imagine we have more fun every single day of our lives um but one of our co-workers um has been there for a year and the rest of us kind of just started with graduation or new jobs um and every day sometimes multiple times a day she's like you guys have no idea how happy i am that you guys are here (laughs) and just kind of like every day validates like we want you here. We need you here. You have no idea how happy it is. Um, and we kind of tease her about it now because it's been a few weeks and we're like, you can't actually want us here that bad. Um, but every single day, I don't know. <laughs> I feel sometimes I get a little lonely in Toledo. I, I mean, I came <laughs> oh, from sure. Cincinnati, so we had 50 mm-hmm. people there and I'm yeah. like, Oh, when I get to go back down, I'm like my people, you know? <laughs> so it's fun to reconnect with people and to have that like cohort um, mm-hmm. and those those connections. Mm-hmm. They'll be lifelong, I'm sure. I'm sure they will. They're all very great people. Um, it's definitely been a very unique beginning experience. I mean, I've just never um, had this type of camaraderie across the board from everyone on our team. Um, very lighthearted day to day. Like it's just, a, it was, it's just, a, just has been the most natural environment for me to segue into. And sometimes that's not always the case. So it's really nice. Yeah. It, really it could nice be very to... stressful if you don't know what you're getting into or it's a yeah. tense circumstance. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to hear that you're, you're doing so well there. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I, Christy, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and having an awesome conversation with me talking about your experience as an interior designer. You hold an amazing role at Champlain. You're an amazing steward of the Toledo community. So it's always super exciting when I get to talk to you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Um, and, and keep in wanna... touch. Oh my gosh, Christy. <laughs> I probably should talk to you way more often than I do. There's no reason <laughs> I shouldn't. <laughs> um, 
But to the nearly one-fourth community, I want to thank you so much for listening today. Um, head over to the show notes to see if there's anything that Christy and I may have mentioned that you're interested in looking into. Um, please sure to like, follow, and subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify to stay up to date with episodes and content. Um, but for now, that's all we have for you today, and I will see you next week on another episode of Nearly One Fourth. Thank you.